that's all I can do because of copyright. Welcome to Big Nerdy Questions. I'm Josh, and I think you have a decent idea where we're going tonight. Uh, let me welcome Ed. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Welcome for the first time to B&Q. Uh, thank you very much, Kenneth, for joining us. That belongs in a museum. And you know him, you love him, he's the man who kills a Gungan every week. Welcome back, Matt. Gungans. Why'd it have to be Gungans? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, after all of that, tonight we are talking about Air Force One and Witness, two of Harrison Ford's most classic films. No, I'm kidding. No, that's Six Days and Seven it. Nights. Six <laughs> Days and Seven Nights. Come on. <laughs> Those are good films, I'm sure, but tonight we're talking about uh, two of Harrison Ford's most iconic franchises. Of course, based on the music, we're discussing Indiana Jones. And with Ed here and with Matt here, the other franchise is Star Wars, of course. So tonight's big nerdy question is very simple. Which of Harrison's four most, most iconic characters are more badass? Which one is more badass? Han Solo or Indiana Jones? We have criteria for it, and we'll get to it in just a minute. But first, Matt, who's our sponsor tonight? Well, Josh, tonight's episode is brought to us by George Lucas. George Lucas, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I think the winner of this is going to have John Williams music either way, so it'll be all right. The winner is the winner is John Williams. Uh, always, let's face it. <laughs> John Williams wins flawless victory. Flawless symphony. Oh, that's a hashtag. <laughs> Flawless Symphony! Did he just pun jack you? I think he just got pun jacked. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, sir. I like that one. Flawless Symphony, hashtag pun jacked. (laughs) Kenneth, you're in for a good one. Welcome, sir. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So, uh, thank you, George Lucas, for sponsoring us. Uh, and I'm actually doing the, the big nerdy recommendation for the evening, and I am going to be talking about a video game that I recently beat. And if you know me at all, then you know that this is an achievement, because I normally do not beat games. I like games, but they don't typically like me. But this game was so enthralling that I played it enough to where I beat it. It is a game on the PC uh, called Rogue Legacy, and it is a roguelike game. Uh, It's a platforming game, uh, almost in the style of Metroidvania, but also in the style of uh, more classic hop-and-bop and and combat-based games. Uh, You play as a knight who's trying to explore a castle and some ruins uh, for uh, some treasure and also to defeat some bosses and unlock secrets. But each time you die, you lose all your progress and restart. However, you do get to buy upgrades for the characters that can go forward throughout the lineage. The twist is, in each generation, you have a mutation, so to speak, that affects gameplay. For example, one one time your character might be colorblind and you're playing in black and white. The next generation, your character could be a giant and is not knocked back by enemies. The next generation could have peripheral arterial disease, which means you have no pulse in your feet, which means you don't get hurt by spikes. That's oddly specific. Uh, it is hilarious in its in-jokes to other franchises. For example, one of the classes you can unlock is the Barbarian class, 
and their special ability is to shout Fusra Da to make all the opponents leave the screen. Uh, it is really an interesting game if you like platforming, if you like Metroidvania, if you like rogue games at all. Please play Rogue Legacy. I got it on sale from Steam for $5.99. If you can get it on sale for that price, I highly encourage it. Again, the name is Rogue Legacy. And that is tonight's big nerdy recommendation. So not affiliated with the X-Wing Squadron, then? No, uh, not affiliated with the <laughs> X-Wing Squadron at all. But I did choose it in part for tonight because it does share a Star Wars name. Uh but it has zero affiliation with Star Wars. It is, in fact, a, uh, a nice little whimsical platform with some very hard bosses, I might add. But tonight, our topic at hand is in cinema, and it is Indiana Jones and Han Solo. I think we would all four of us agree that these two are pretty iconic characters in their own right. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, so uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about which character is more badass... We didn't want to really necessarily say which character is better, because we love them both, but we can certainly figure out which one is more badass, and we have four areas what we're going to explore for badassery. Uh, the first one will be resourcefulness and intelligence, then we'll go to charisma and allies, then we'll go to their moral fiber, and then finally we'll look at their track record. And hopefully looking at those four uh, criteria will help us determine which character is in fact the more badass role for Harrison Ford. We're going to start off with intelligence and resourcefulness. And Kenneth, since you are our special guest, I will let you open the floor. In terms of intelligence and resourcefulness, I can make a pretty strong case for both characters, I would say. On the one hand, you have Han Solo, who won his ship via some degree of um, skill, underhanded wit, etc., and then outfitted her, more specifically, she was a simple freighter, outfitted her to do smuggling jobs to a degree that the Empire themselves could not detect. On the other hand, you have Dr. Jones, who survived grad school, presumably, and I can tell you that's an experience in and of itself. Amen. For an archaeologist. You, you would know as the archaeologist I, who's currently a PhD candidate in the Indiana Jones School of Archaeology. I would, I would. Um, so, all joking aside, though, he has worked his way through traps, tricks, etc., time and time again. I think I'm going to have to make the case for Dr. Jones in terms of simply variability of knowledge. Indy can do more with less previous information. While Solo, given prep time, this is like the old Batman argument, given prep time, Solo can do anything. But Indy is better at thinking on his feet. I can see that point. And specifically to what you said about, you know, Indy can solve a, a problem, I'm thinking back to all the times that uh, he had to make a decision that was not combat-related, but still was instantaneous. For example, the, most, the two most iconic I can think of are in Raiders, when he figures out the puzzle uh, for the light, mm -hmm. and in Last Crusade, when he picks the right grail. Precisely. Um, I also think you can think fast on his feet with combat, and I'm thinking here specifically of the helicopter battle in Raiders. Oh. Uh, and his use of the environment, if you will. 
Yes. So I, I definitely see that point. Uh, Ed, do you agree with Kenneth's choice? Wholeheartedly. Uh, Indy is a lot more, uh, I'd say, adaptable to the situation. Uh, it's like he said, prep time solo can do pretty much anything, but Indiana Jones throughout all of the movies is constantly forced into situations where he has to make a split-second decision that would mean life or death, essentially, and he most of the time comes out on top with that, and he's just a very, very brazen and adaptable person. Mm-hmm. So let's, Matt, is it a clean sweep? Do you think Indy is more adaptable in his intelligence than Han Solo? I'm going to have to be that guy <laughs> and take it the other way. And here's my reasoning. I'm not just I'm not just being a contrarian here. Uh, yes, Indiana Jones is extremely intelligent. I mean, the, the 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 mere fact that he has a PhD in a scientific field and manages to actually you know teach a full course load while punching Nazis <laughs> that's that's just first of all that's just amazing time management. <laughs> but. He, you know, he is extremely intelligent, and I'm not diminishing his intellect in any way. I, I have tremendous ex- respect for for Indy, but when you consider the complexity of the things that Han Solo is really dealing with, and we don't really think of it as much because you know, messing with the Falcon and the blasters, and everything like that, is kind of you know built into the well. Lots of people have spaceships and blasters. But you have to keep in mind, this man had to learn on his own with no formal education, and there's actually a fair chance that he's illiterate. Uh, He and Luke, there's actually a fair chance that they're both illiterate. You never actually see them interact with anything written. Hmm. Um, He had to learn on his own how to build, repair, and modify and a variety of energy weapons of both the handheld blaster variety and the mounted spacecraft turret variety. And he acquired a freighter and heavily modified it. We're talking about a spaceship and not like, not like the, the space shuttle Columbia either. This is full on. He's repairing systems that move this thing faster than the speed of light. The the sheer amount of calculation and skill and the variety of knowledge he would have to have just to function in his chosen profession would honestly be, I think, mind-blowing to anyone of our Earth of the modern day. I can see that uh, point. I mean, Han, Indy has intelligence that is more traditional in the sense that when you think of book learning, you know, Indy yes. can solve things like that. Han has mechanical intelligence. Yeah, uh, I really give it to Han because of the resourcefulness and the and survival. All of all of his intelligence comes from using what's around him, and you know, ma- he's basically manipulating his environment and the objects around him to improve his chances. Do you know what my uh I think my favorite scene for Han's intelligence is his use of the Tauntaun to save Luke's life. Yep. That is thinking outside of the, the box. and Or inside the Tauntaun. It, yes, indeed. I, I think it's the kind of solution that 
I don't know if Dr. Jones would have automatically gone there. I mean, he may have thought of more of a, what chemicals do I have on hand that I can use to stoke a fire? Not only that, but how, how, to, how to turn on and off a lightsaber is not common knowledge in the Star Wars universe, which is something they show repeatedly, is that you know most people, when they first handle a lightsaber, have no idea how to turn it on or use it. And Han's able to pick it up, looks at it for about two seconds, and that thing's on. And he has no Force ability, as far as we know. He is not Force-sensitive. There, there is no canon that I've seen in which he is Force-sensitive. So he figured it out completely on his own with his brain? C- completely from observation, inference, and examining the object, yes. So, well played. And that, I mean... And I think that the Hoth sequence is iconic for a lot of reasons, but that is one of the most iconic. And, I should say, the Mythbusters tested it, and they found it plausible that you could actually be saved by sleeping in the still-warm innards of a just-dead livestock creature. Mm-hmm. It was good enough for Leonardo DiCaprio. That's true. That is very but true. But still couldn't get on that door. <laughs> You know, you know I, I think a lot of the points you made, though, are still applicable to Indy, though, because he is constantly adapting to his surroundings to better his chances of survival and taking out the enemy as well. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. Josh, Josh was talking about, you know, the, the scenes uh, in the first film where the uh, traps, but the same in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he didn't really have any idea what the traps were leading up to go to the Grail Room, the breath of God and, you know, the the path of God and all that, and he was just figuring it out as he went along under time constraints because his father had just been shot. So I, I, I think that, that applies to both characters. I mean, this is going to... Yeah. This is a hard hard thing to, you know... You could argue it either way for either you character in, in any of these criteria, I think. Absolutely. And just like with an episode we released several weeks ago, we were comparing Fallout and The Elder Scrolls, I mean, both of our comparisons here, both of our this or that's, have a lot of strengths, obviously. But I think it's, in some of these cases, it's just a preference on the edge. And I think yeah. I think uh, Kenneth and Ed and I probably give this category ever so slightly to Dr. Jones. And Matt gives it ever so slightly to Han. But yeah, it doesn't, but it's, it, it's, it's slight. It is slight. It, 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 it's a very, very narrow difference between them on that. The thing that, you know, kind of works against Han Solo, in a way, he isn't the central character of the franchise that he's in. Indy is the central character in his, so he has a lot more opportunity to shine. Sure. He also has a lot more development going on within his own franchise, barring extended universe, etc. Right. So we know more about him. Mm-hmm. We absolutely do. Um well, we know some things about him. There's still a lot of... We know some of the basics of his family story. But we we almost don't know as much as you would think, but that's because of the nature of the plots for Indiana Jones being more plot-driven. I mean, there is some character development, but it's not like in... in the last, I almost called it Holy Grail. In The Last Crusade, we do learn quite a bit about his father-son relationship with, you know, uh, Henry... <laughs> but we don't learn a ton about the family life outside of that, aside from what little we see in the in the opening when he's young, Indy. Uh, but that's not the focus of the film. The focus of the film is strictly how this father-son relationship plays out amongst the hunt for the holy. Um, True. 
And the other thing, you know, and this is kind of a segue to allies, the thing that we see a little bit different, Indy, of course, has different love interests in, in three of the four films. We have Marion come back in Crystal Skull, but mm-hmm. Han Solo is consistent with one love interest throughout all of his appearances. Uh, it, it, but I know that in the original script he had someone else before he found Leia, but it, we've seen him with Leia through all the films, so that's a little bit different. But our next uh, ca- ta- uh, category, our next category is charisma and their alliances. Uh, they go together: the ability to attract an alliance, keep an alliance, keep good friends. Uh, so, I mean, if if you're going strictly on who do you want in a fight, Chewie or a short round? I know my money's on short rounds. Hey, don't don't count the kid out. Uh, but, <laughs> but there's more to it than this. So, uh, Ed, since you've already said don't count the kid out, you have the floor to open this one on charisma and alliances. Dr. Well, I think Jones bo- or Han? I think both characters exude a, a different kind of charisma. Indiana Jones is just an all-around likable guy. He's very driven. He's very earnest and... Uh, you know, he, he has people gravitate towards him because of that, but that being said, I mean, Han Solo was the charisma of the franchise to a lot of people. He was the character that everybody most enjoyed and most related to, and as, in terms of allies, Indy had a different set, like you said, through the uh, three original films, and, you know, it was Marion in the first one, and then uh, Short Round and Willie in the second, and then... Uh, his father, Henry Jones Sr., and uh, uh, Marcus Brody, and uh, the the one that obviously turned out to be a bad guy, Elsa Schneider. But Han has consistent allies that he can rely on. And the reason I think I would give this category to Han is because Indy, more often than not through the films, almost kind of seems like a lone wolf character because so many times through the franchise he's having to deal with stuff on his own or in a limited capacity with others. Yeah, I, I, I see your point there. I mean, Marcus Brody is not the most competent of allies. No, and as Indy <laughs> said, he would get lost in his own museum, but that's neither here nor there. To be fair, if I had my own museum, I'd probably get lost wandering in it too, but, you know. I thought you already do that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do walk around the archive stacks and just like, ooh, shiny. Although it's not really shiny as <laughs> much as, ooh, oh. I, they, they both have a, an ability to work with allies. It's just that... Solo does it more frequently because Chewbacca's always with him. Throughout all of the films, he is working with somebody, whether it's Han one, or Han working with Chewie one-on-one or working with Luke or Leia or even C-3PO or whatever. He has a lot more time, as I said, to shine in that respect than Indy did, in my opinion. And I think that whereas Dr. Jones is more adaptable in sheer intelligence, Han is more socially aware like, he is the cool cat. He's the cool customer. He knows the situation. He I mean, he lives in bars, and he knows how to be in a situation with people, and he knows when to fight and when to turn on the charm, and it seems to always work for him. I mean, it's no accident that he hangs out with the most charismatic individual in the history of cinema, Mr. Lando Calrissian. Yeah, that's another good point. Uh... It's there. Uh, Matt, do you see Han's charisma, or do you think Dr. Jones is more of the charismatic fellow? Well, when it comes to... I'm going I'm, I'm to do this section a little in reverse. As far as allies go, I, I think this the, the 
this portion of the section can be answered with three simple words. Wookie life debt. Ding, ding, there's, your, there, there's your allies answer right there. Wookie life debt. <laughs> uh, Not to mention now, a side dose of Luke, Leia, Obi-Wan, Lando, C-3PO, R2, Rey, but, Finn. Yeah, you win. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I think I, I think Han has, has the better group of allies because his allies actually do stay with him uh, to the point that Ed was making. You know, his allies stay around for more than just one film. Whereas Indy, his allies come and go with the notable exception of his father. As far as charisma, that one, that the charisma is really hard for me because, I mean, very clearly, Indy is not lacking for uh, for attractiveness to the uh, female leads in the films. Clearly not. I mean, he has a flavor of the film. Let's face it. But there is there. It's, it's that X factor that I think gives Han the edge. It, it's that he yes he, he does stay focused on Leia even though he he can't stand her at first, but as soon as as soon as he sees her handling a blaster, he he changes his tune. Which, as we established in the Blind Date Star Wars episode, we all would have done the same thing. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm going to give this particular category to Han. Not by the widest margin, but it's not a terribly narrow margin either. Kenneth, is it going to be a clean sweep for Han in Category 2? Again, the argument could be made in Indy's favor that he is better at working with a more diverse and versatile group of allies because he has to rework how he handles each with each film. He doesn't have the opportunity to adapt to those with whom he is working, but... Yeah, I think I'm going to have to give this one to Han, partially because of the sheer usefulness of his allies, and partially because of the charisma factor. Indy's charisma tends to get him in more trouble than it solves things for him, whereas Han Solo is able to use it to quite literally manipulate the battlefield in his benefit. I agree, and I was going to give it to Han not for three words, but for two. I know. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> I mean that done. Done. I mean I'm doing the Neil deGrasse Tyson like oh this yeah, is I, over. I can almost I can almost hear your your hands going back and forth. <laughs> I mean it yeah, I love you. I know. I wonder what other questions can be responded to with I know and be so effective. I have chlamydia, I know. <laughs> I'm Batman. I know. <laughs> I'd like to see a conversation between Han Solo and Wesley from Princess Bride. I know, as you wish. <laughs> as you wish. I know. Hodor, I know. Man, we haven't talked about that on the show, have we? Princess Bride. Not yet. No, we have not. Wow. But I know we did now. We did now. So we have a three to one winner for Indy. For resourcefulness, with a dissenting vote for Matt. We have a sweep for Han, for Charisma and Allies. Before I go to the next category, Colleen, who's a regular uh, B&Q panelist, she could not be on this episode, but she did send me her, her analysis of the situation, and I did want to read it on here. 
She says, quote, Indy wins no contest. He beat the crap out of Nazis, thieves, and rats, and set the castle <laughs> on fire. Han spent most of his time running away from bounty hunters, holed up in a space rock, or as a space rock. Then he got his oh. ass kicked by teddy bears. Indy, <laughs> Indy saved a village of children. Indy faced the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail and lived. He very nearly came face to face with God. I mean, come on, that's badass. Although both characters have a thing for shooting first and disparaging old religious men. She also poses with the Keanu Reeves meme, what if the Indiana Jones movies are Han Solo's dreams while frozen in carbonite? Nice. Nice. She uh, does make a lot of good points. So she is Indeed. clearly on the indie camp, but we'll see where we come out. In Whatever gave you that impression. Categories. Uh, although I think she, she does like Han as a character, but she is determined Indy is much more badass. Uh, I can't say her points are wrong, but we'll see where she go, where we go. Uh, the next one, Matt, I'll start with you. Uh, it, you don't have to be a, a, have a moral fighter to be a badass, but we might as well talk about moral fighter because it's interesting to, to discuss. Uh, so which character, in your opinion, has a stronger moral fiber and strength of character? Han Solo or Indiana Jones? So, uh, I'm going to start by looking at Han, and then I'm going to look at Indy. Uh, So, with Han, he starts out at the beginning of A New Hope, driven by, you know, they gave him money to do a thing. He was conducting business, and there wasn't a moral component to it, unless you include the fact that he does kind of like sticking it to the Empire, because, you know, they're the Empire. But, you know, throughout the movie... You know, he he sees people you know fighting for their cause, and it has an effect on him. And by the end of the film, he not only joins their cause, but he he let's face it, he's he's the one who saved the day during the trench run. And then he becomes a reliable ally who throws greed out the window. And I think he really reforms as a character and kind of comes out into the light. So I think he doesn't start out doing things for the right reason, but in the end, he does the right thing. Now, as far as Indiana Jones, he's always fighting for a cause. And uh, he, he reminds me very much of the Monuments Men uh, following World War II, in which they went in to Europe for the specific purpose of locating and rescuing art. Yes. He was basically an archaeological monuments man. His, his goal was to save endangered, important archaeological artifacts from destruction or capture by the Nazis. So I, I, that's an incredibly noble goal. He throws himself into danger constantly with a revolver, a whip, and a dapper hat. So, on strength of character, I am going to give a resounding victory to Dr. Jones. I do want to point because out... his ahead. character is never in question. No. I do want to point out that I, when you were discussing Han's transition, I made an interesting revelation that I'm sure people have mentioned before. The last act of a greedy Han Solo was to kill Greedo. 
So, in effect, he he killed his own greed, yeah. Well, technically, his last greedy act was to actually collect the uh, payment from the Rebel Alliance and leave before the Battle of Yavin. Yeah. Granted, after he left, he came back. Possibly with some coercion from a large furry individual. Well, the symbolism of killing greed is is a symbol of his progress in the film. I I would argue that to an extent, because he still does some underhanded and somewhat greedy things. I mean, even as late as Episode 7, he's ripping off Kanji Club and uh, what was the other group of... uh, Oh, man. Uh, The two groups that ambushed him on his freighter there at Episode 7. Yeah, I I think... Would it be uh, fair to say that Han might be chaotic good? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. He definitely had a character development from uh, a selfish person to a more selfless person, but he still has some roguish tendencies. Oh yes, absolutely. Kenneth, where do you fall on this one? Do you think Han uh, has a moral fiber, or do you think that it's as strong as Matt said for Indy? I would say that while Han Solo has, he decidedly has a strong moral compass. That was a piece of his purpose for being in the film. He was not only just the likable rogue, he was the likable rogue that you get to watch grow into a decent human being. Whereas in the Indiana Jones films, Indy's moral compass is an aspect of the movie. It is a set thing. It is... It is understood and absolute. I would like to add something that I've always appreciated. As archaeologists, we, and by extension he, is called to be, quote, a steward of the archaeological record, to do precisely what he is doing. So you could make the argument that he is simply doing his job, but he's also fighting Nazis, so I've kind of got to give it to him. Yeah, I I do want to make a big point here. They could have written the films just as easily to have Indiana Jones be, you know, work for his on his own as a treasure hunter. True. But he is an, the plots would have worked for the most part. But he is an archaeologist connected to the university and its museum, and when he finds an artifact, while he does get the credit for it, it's going to live in that museum, or as in the case of um, the. Uh, Temple of Doom, it's going to stay in the community where it rightfully owns it. Yes. He is not going to swoop in and and get something and then sell it. He's not going to sell the Holy Grail for, you know, a billion dollars to Coca-Cola for a sponsorship. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's a big part of it for me, at least, is the fact that he, you know, th- there really are real-life treasure hunters, and yes. you know, he, he could make an enormous personal profit, but he never, ever uses his position or his resources for personal gain. His actions are always ultimately altruistic. His role as a proper steward never comes into question at any point in the series, I would say. I think even though I'm not an archaeologist, you know, Matt and I... Well, uh, Matt's changed careers, but Matt's a trained archivist. I am an archivist. You know, we have the same code of ethics with paper records as you do, Kenneth, with artifacts. Absolutely. We, we take a code of ethics as archivists to preserve the historical record 
uh, flaws, warts and all, but to preserve the historical record. And that, of course, also for archivists includes, you know, digital records, multimedia, mm -hmm. anything like that, social media. But we have an obligation to preserve it, not for personal gain. And even when we publish using archival sources, we only publish for academic reasons. Yes. Uh, so it's a, we can profit off a book, but it's, it's not intended to... We're not going to trying to sell this information. The information is freely available, uh, and that is part of our code of ethics. And I think that as someone in the historical field, I firmly appreciate what Indiana Jones does, although, to be frank, I don't think I could kill Nazis to preserve an archival collection, although if called upon, I might give it a go. Uh, but I, I mean, who, need, who really needs a reason to kill Nazis? Very good point. That's actually an interesting question for another podcast. Can you kill a Nazi with, under the G Geneva Convention? We might ask uh, the guys over at Beltway Banthas that one, since they're uh, polit political science experts. Uh, all, all I'm saying is if your leader gets punched out on the cover of a Captain America issue, I'm pretty sure that's fair game, officially. If your leader is being mocked by Dr. Seuss in an award-winning short. Ooh, good point. That may be that may be even better than getting punched up by Captain. If America. your leader single-handedly ruined Charlie Chaplin's mustache, oh, don't get me started. Oh on that. yeah, don't get me started on that. That was a perfectly valid facial hair style that was quite popular, and then one jerkwad had to go make it associated with genocide. You know, we 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 would be remiss if we didn't point out that Indy actually got Hitler's autograph in the Last Crusade. <laughs> This yeah. is true. This is true. But how many of us wanted Indy to pull out his gun like he did in Raiders and just shoot the bastard? There was no scenario that he could have gotten away with that oh, no. without dying. Oh, no, but, but yeah. it's one of those things, fan service. I'm glad yeah. they didn't do it, but oh, the possibilities. It's like the, it's like the Tarantino film, Inglorious Bastards. That's not historically how it happened, but it was a lot of fun to watch. And I also should point yeah. out with Inglorious Bastards... It is completely accurate that nitrate film does go up like the fireworks on Fourth of July. Uh, so if you have any nitrate film in your house, put it in the freezer right now. I'm not kidding. It's going to explode. I'm not exaggerating here. Get it in the freezer right now. Okay, good. We're good. So right, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. So juggle it while smoking cigars next to the bonfire. Got it. Questions is not legally liable for anyone who follows mass decisions. Our recommendations on the show. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was a running disclaimer for this show. <laughs> He's gonna put it at the bottom of every sh uh, show notes. <laughs> yes, I think that goes without saying. Although in that case, I had to say it. Uh, so we will now turn to our fourth criteria. We've got two to one overall for Indy, but Han can tie it up by going at caliber of victories. Who has achieved the greater success and renown? And Kenneth, since uh, we started with you, we'll come back to start with you on this last one. Caliber of victories and track record, Indy or Han? This is kind of a tough one, because on the one hand you have Nazis, on the other hand you have space Nazis. <laughs> Either way, it's a victory Nazis, over Nazis. Well, we have historical evidence that the actual Nazis could shoot, whereas the space Nazis never hit a damn target. There's actually a... a, a pointed fan theory about why the stormtroopers in the Death Star couldn't seem to hit anything, and it's actually that they were intentionally missing 
because Darth Vader were specifically or to live. Yeah, they, they, they specifically were letting them get away so that they could be tracked back to Yevon Four to reveal the location of the Rebel base. We also have clear video evidence aboard the starship Tantive Four and at the Battle of Endor that they weren't that bad. Yeah, that's true. But, Maybe it was intentional. But hmm. And all those sand people they took out, or I'm sorry, the Jawas they took out when they uh, passed themselves off as sand people. Aye. However, I'm going to say I have to give caliber of their victories, I'm going to have to give this one to Dr. Jones, because while Han Solo was instrumental in a great number of astounding victories, um, the, the Battle of Yavin for one, he permitted Luke to destroy the Death Star effectively. He drew fire, got fire off Luke's back. While he was instrumental in that, it was not his victory personally. And you could argue that he played a fantastic role in the fall of the Empire while Dr. Jones played a role but not as significant in the fall of the Third Reich. Most, if not all, of Indy's victories were personal victories that could be tied back to him. Mm-hmm. Although I, I will say, one of Han, or one of Indy's most iconic victories, you know, the the victory at, at the end of Raiders essentially happens almost by happenstance. Happenstance. Because he's captured, and if the arc doesn't melt everyone's face, there's no way out of that for him. I mean, yes, he has the intelligence to shield his eyes and not look to tell Marion to do the same. But he had effectively lost. Dumb luck was on his side, but Han was Luke's dumb luck a number of times, so I would say Han was more an instrument in most of his quote-unquote victories than Indy was in his. Mm -hmm. Han was a means to an end, whereas Indy was the end itself. So Indy gets it from Kenneth. Ed, do you agree? I do. Um... Now, if, if you're talking about just overall importance, Han helped save the universe, whereas Indy had victories on a much smaller scale. But if, if we're going to, you know, just comparatively, I would say that, you know, his fights to, to save the Ark, to save the village, in the, the Indian village in the second film, and to keep the Grail out of Nazi hands in the third film... I think that all of those victories were a lot more personal, as in he was the one primarily fighting it. Yes, he had allies, but not as many as Han Solo had. Han Solo had his immediate friends that we all know, and he had the entire rebellion with him at most points during the franchise. Mm -hmm. uh, th that being said, I just I feel that indies were earned a bit more, you know, personally, because it was mainly him doing them. And, you know, it, it kind of goes back to Han's a fantastic freaking pilot. Nobody's doubting that. But Indy's out there hand-to-hand, -hand, whip to face you know, uh, gun blazing, all this stuff. He does a lot more on-ground work. I mean, just look at the uh, scene in uh, uh, Last Crusade where he's on horseback charging a Nazi tank, and he takes it out. Like a boss. <laughs> With, like a boss. I have to give it to Jones. I, he, his most personal victory was against the nuclear bomb by way of refrigerator. 
Yeah, I mean, that was fantastic, because let's ignore the fact that if he was thrown from that distance, his bones would not completely shatter anyway. <laughs> well, clearly they, they're structurally reinforced by sheer will of badassery. Yeah, plot plot device, plot armor. And a you know? hell of a lot of Radaway. I, I, I have, <laughs> at this point, pretty much not given any credence to the, the Crystal Skull, but, I mean, if you really want to, he did some badass things as an older guy in that film, too. He whether did. they were I mean, in, any, he, in any way realistic or not. He did not, not die by hordes of CGI ants. No, he That's did not. That's impressive. And, yeah, I just... God, he was he was stood next to Shia LaBeouf <laughs> without killing him. That's impressive. Yeah. That's grounds for sainthood. Yeah. Strength of, strength of character. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that movie. Let it me was point a out to all of our listeners that Ed, for you, rewatched Crystal Skull for this episode. Yeah, and I only took two notes on the entire damn movie, and, and neither of them were flattering. Ed <laughs> does these things for you. It, so, that was that was an endeavor. I mean, we've a, all rewatched some things for the podcast, but I don't think it, did any of you watch Crystal Skull for this episode besides Ed? No. I tried. I tried so hard. Yeah, I mean, I watched the others, but I did not watch Crystal Skull. So, Ed, you get a gold star for effort today, sir. (laughs) That movie certainly doesn't. (laughs) Oh. And and, and again, and I talked about about this off-air. To be fair, there were a few moments where it was almost good, like those individual moments. Overall, it was bad. And people give a lot of flack to the prequel trilogy in Star Wars. I at least found things to enjoy in those films. This wasn't even a comparison. I would watch any prequel film before I would watch Crystal Skull. I think that's a B and Q will do down the road. Which is worse, Crystal Skull or Episode One? I, I think Skull. he may. Have, I think Ed may have just made the most damning indictment ever recorded on this show. <laughs> I think he certainly has. <laughs> Uh, before we get into that entirely different topic, I do want to open the floor to Matt. Um, you know the the Clyde to my Bonnie, uh, and uh, Matt, do you think that Indy has a stronger caliber of victories than Han? Okay, caliber of victory. So for Han, uh, I, I have to agree with the previous statements that were made that it's not so much. He's not the big damn hero. He's he's the supporting character. He's the one who makes the victory possible. So, yes, without him, Luke would have been shot down in the trench run and never would have gotten that shot off to take out the Death Star. Never would have kissed his so, sister. Uh, still better than Oh, no, had already kissed his sister. I thought that was at the beginning of Empire. No, that was at the beginning of New Hope. Oh. No, that that, well, that was middle empire. of a new hope. That was an empire. I no no. Oh, you're right. She kissed him. She kissed him as he was. She swinging kissed her. him to make Han jealous. No 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 no. She kissed him as he was swinging across the um the bridge section in the Death Star. Yes, oh, she did. That was on the cheek. Does not count. Okay, true facts. Move on. Uh, sorry, I, I apologize, Matt. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so. He, he's always the, he, he's the supporting character. He's absolutely instrumental. They can't do it without him. But at the same time, 
he's not he he's he's not the the big hero. You know, he's not doing it himself. He has he has a team that he's supporting doing it. So I think that kind of diminishes his contribution because he's not doing it by himself like Indiana Jones is. Now, as far as caliber of victory for Indiana Jones, clearly that's 45 HCP because of the Smith & Wesson M1917 that he uses. <laughs> Surprise listeners, I'm a little bit of a gun nerd. Um, <laughs> is that why you always send me your emails and bullet points? Badum, tiss. <laughs> the, the thing with Indiana Jones is... He has these teams, but most of the people helping him out only help him out for a couple of scenes. You know, they're, they're not with him for three movies. He doesn't have the big support structure of, you know, an entire rebel alliance to fight the Nazis. He's got a revolver, a whip, and a couple of minor characters here and there. And camels. Don't forget the camels. Yes, don't forget the camels. Well, we never forget those humps, those lovely lady humps. I mean, he had John Rice Davies with him. That's awesome. <laughs> but for, for, for caliber of victory, because Han Solo acts as part of a much larger organization, whereas Indiana Jones is acting effectively as an individual, I, I'm going to have to give this one as a solid win for Indy. So, I, I agree with you, which means we have a winner. That three, three to one. Indiana Jones is more badass than Han Solo. It's not the well, years, honey. It's the mileage. Well, we we still have to give our individual votes on the overall, though. That's true. We have a winner based on criteria, but it is time for the overall winner. Uh, so, Kenneth, I will start with you. Is your overall pick Indy or Han? I'm going to go with Indy. One for Indy. Ed. Dr. Jones. Matt. So, for me, on a lot of it, it was really close. But I am going to, for the reason of both his strength of character and the fact that he had to act alone so frequently, I have got to give a clean victory to Dr. Jones. And I do as well. So I think, for all the reasons that everyone said... Indiana Jones wins this. Uh, in our opinion, he is more badass than Han Solo, but only just. Indiana Jones has won this episode of Big Nerdy Questions. We love both characters, but Indiana Jones has won in the badassery department. We feel that Indiana Jones is more badass. But maybe you disagree with us. Maybe you think we're wrong. Maybe you want us to whip it, whip it good, if that's the case. Please, let us know. Send us an email at bmqfeedback at gmail.com or bignerdyquestions at, at gmail.com. You can also send us a tweet at bmqpodcast. Send us either one. We'll read it on the air. We will try it. Uh, and we want to thank you so much for your uh, continued listens, continued downloads, continued uh, reviews. Uh, we are hoping to get more and more of those. We are over 24,000 lifetime hits, and we're approaching almost 1,000 downloads on Podbean itself, so we cannot thank you enough, dear listeners, for making Big Nerdy Questions, well, kind of a big deal. Uh, so we thank you very much for that. 
And I do want to officially announce, we can announce uh, also the winners of the first poll for who belongs on the Mount Rushmore of television. We have the data in. The four men who are going on the Mount Rushmore of television are Gene Roddenberry. Damn right. <laughs> Rod Serling. Yeah, I could say that. Sidney Newman. Okay. And Joss Whedon. Nice. I like it. That's a good set. So those four men have been crowned on the Mount Rushmore of nerdy television, and they will go to the finals at the end of the season as eligible men to go on the nerd Mount Rushmore of all over all the nerd things. Uh, so thank you very much for voting on Twitter. We sincerely appreciate it, uh, and those are your winners. Uh, but for tonight, I want to thank all of you for being on the show. Thank you very much, Kenneth. I hope you'll come back again. Indeed. And thank you, Ed, as always. Thank you, sir. And Matt, thank you, and of course, kill the Gungan. Well, Josh, this week, Jar Jar had a particularly uh, unpleasant ending. You see, he was walking around in, in the bazaar, being rather bizarre, and across the crowd, he, he saw a man in, in a hat with a whip and a revolver. And that man was Indiana Jones. And when Indy saw him, he immediately said, Gungans, why'd it have to be Gungans? Pulled out his revolver, shooting the Gungan in the chest, only to have him fall into a hole full of snakes. <laughs> and in the pit of snakes, as the Gungan tried to escape, through the bites and all the slithering and various hissing noises, he saw a large object, uh, a a large chest, and he decided, Misa hiding this! And he lifted it open, only to discover that it was the Ark of the Covenant. Misa melting! Bullets, snake bites, and face melting. Let's go with it. Ha 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 ha! That was a When you bring India death. into it, you gotta go big. That was a badass death. Well done, Matt. And thank God there was no crystal skull involved. <laughs> Keeping it real. Keeping it real. Well, uh, for that is it for tonight's episode of Big Nerdy Questions. This is Josh signing off. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.